Welcome to Ben Davis Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davis, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you about one of my favorite things in the world, movies. After a brief hiatus from our series podcast, we are indeed returning with one of my favorite movies slash trilogies ever made. Before, before we get to that, I must introduce my guest this week. He's been on the show before, several times actually, mm-hmm. and I'm glad to have him back on, man. Robert Buffard, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks again for having me back on. It's always fun. Of course, man. I always love having you on the show. Um, What have you been up to? It's been a long time since you've been on. I think Guardians of the Galaxy was actually the last one you did. Yeah, um, I can't remember, but that sounds that sounds right. Um, I'm writing, uh, doing Sif Pop stuff still, doing the, all that editing. Started my own YouTube channel, so that's getting uh, most of my time outside of Sif Pop and work. Uh, so yeah, that's the main main stuff I've been up to. Yeah, and I, I've I've had the privilege to watch some of those YouTube videos, and I, I really like them a lot. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. I enjoy making them. Yeah, they're great. They're great. So last month I covered nothing but horror films, uh, in particular focusing on the Scream franchise, with that being my my favorite horror series. I had so much fun doing that with so many wonderful guests, like my buddy, one of my best friends in the world, Adam Dickens, Reva Cohn and Dr. Dan Reardon, but if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm glad to be done with horror movies for a bit, Robert. <laughs> like, yeah. Not I'm, that I'm not even one of those people to get into Spooktober, so I don't even, like, get, <laughs> I didn't get nearly as close as you did even to horror stuff. Well, it's, it's not even that I don't love horror films. I do, but because after a month solid of mm-hmm. watching nothing but that, I find myself needing a break mentally. There's only yeah. so much watching people die that you can you can deal with in horrible ways. Right, right. Uh, however, it's it's still fall outside, and it's the most beautiful time of the year where I live. And I associate fall with with two things, movie genre wise: horror and fantasy. Horror falling in line with October because, of course, Halloween, and November falling in line with fantasy. Fantasy mostly dealing with like wizards and witches. And stuff like that, um, old legends, things of that nature. I find it to be a nice bridge to next month, where I do nothing but watch Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that'll be nice. Uh, with that said, I figured since I covered my favorite horror series in October, that would be really fitting to cover my favorite fantasy movies ever this month: Lord of the Rings. Uh, and today, Robert and I will be talking about Fellowship of the Ring, the extended edition, because we aren't posers here. <laughs> of course not. There's no other edition to watch. No. Uh, this is a film directed by Peter Jackson and starring, get ready for this list of names. We have Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Liv Tyler, Vito Mortensen, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, John Reese davies Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan, Orlando Bloom, Christopher Lee, Hugo Weaving, Sean Bean, Ian Holm, and of course, Andy Serkis with his precious <laughs> impersonation. I get one per pod. <laughs> if, if you aren't familiar with Lord of the Rings, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, the plot synopsis reads like such, according to Google, uh, the future of civilization rests in the fate of the One Ring which has been lost for centuries. Powerful forces are unrelenting in their search for it, but fate has placed it in the hands of a young hobbit named uh, Frodo Baggins, not Froyo Baggins, Frodo Baggins, (laughs) who inherits the ring and steps into legend. 
A daunting task lies ahead of Frodo when he becomes the ring bearer to destroy the one ring in the fires of Mount Doom where it was forged. So, listen, I could talk ad nauseum about this, but there are no words I can use to describe just how incredible this series of movies is. I can try, but it wouldn't do it justice. There's a reason whenever someone even slightly does something remotely epic, people want to compare it to Lord of the Rings. This series broke genre prejudice barriers, something not easily done, especially at the time. It took material, it took the material serious and was treated with such love and care to the source material. Even someone who's I've never read the books knows how much love and care was put into this because of the behind the scenes material. This movie is just so incredible. And it's really a gamble too at the time, especially considering the fact that they shot this back to back to back with all three films. But it all had to start somewhere and it started with Fellowship of the Rings. So Robert, when was the first time you saw Lord of the Rings and how does it compare to how you feel about it now? I know you have a special relationship with this movie about as much as I, well, probably more, more so than I do. And I was like your favorite movie ever, right? Yeah. Um, I don't, I haven't been able to choose which one of Lord of the Rings is my favorite. So I just say, if someone asks what my favorite movie is, it's always just Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And, uh, kind of like you with Star Wars, like that's never going to change no matter what comes out. If it's like, you know, nothing's ever going to beat Lord of the Rings for me. Yeah. Um, with that being said, I don't even remember the first time that I sat down and watched it all the way through. I remember I wasn't quite old enough to see it in theaters when it came out. Um, but I remember the Council of Elrond scene was on TV one day and my dad showed me that. And right away I was like hooked. Yeah, I was hooked. I was taken away. Um, and then because this is how young I was when they were coming out. I had a loose tooth and my dad said when my tooth fell out as a prize, I would get the Fellowship of the Ring VHS. And then nice. that's I, what I don't remember losing the tooth and then getting the VHS. But I remember that must have been the first time I watched it all the way through. So um, it's been ever since I was like four or five that I've been absolutely hooked, absolutely in love with these movies. Yeah, they, they really they really are incredible. Uh, so I kind of have a, a long winded uh, first time seeing this because I saw this really at a a very impactful age. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw Lord of the Rings wasn't actually in a theater. Um, and despite most of the movies I see, oh, the first time I saw it was in this theater. It's like, no, this one I right. didn't see in theaters. Uh, in fact, don't hate me for this. I remember thinking it wouldn't be good. Uh, I thought it was just another Harry Potter type movie. Uh, hopefully Carly didn't hear, just hear me say that and isn't listening, but that wasn't really something I was into at the time. I was more focused on stuff involving Arnold Schwarzenegger, Will Smith, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, and of, of course, Star Wars. It's also important to remember I was like seven at the time when this came out. So I had no idea how long Lord of the Rings had, had been around and right. it, it wasn't, at all harry potter even though thematically they share some similarities and they both use magic it wasn't until my friends at school and my cousin tyler started talking about it that i that i got interested but by that time it had already left the theaters and it wouldn't really be until the next christmas my brother and i would rent it on pay-per-view in our game room where we would watch all our movies and i remember it like like it was yesterday it we turned off all the lights and we had this like little fort built in front of the tv 
and watching it for nearly, you know, this movie's almost three hours. Neither of us moved. We were just frozen watching it on the screen. I don't think either of us spoke to one another. <laughs> it's just three hours of silence. And it felt like I was being transported to another world that really existed. And at the time, you know, I had never really felt this way until, you know, obviously Star Wars impacted me in this way, but this was the first film since to do that. You know, it was just so Mm -hmm. magical and it introduced all these characters and themes that I loved. And over the years, these films have become, you know, comfort movies for me. Uh, but this one in particular, there's just such an enchanting magic to to getting introduced to all the stuff all over again and picking up the new things, especially we were talking about before we just started recording the, the extended editions. And I, I watch it now and the world continues to consume me every time I turn it on and I'm just blown away by it. But the thing that is always carried oh, that I've always carried away from this movie is a why it deals with a lot of loss and the loss of innocence and entering that adult world. And it's also about being hopeful despite all the craziness that that life might throw at you. Uh, don't wish for diff- for a different life, but embrace the one you have. Uh, to quote Gandalf, I wrote this down uh, after Frodo says he wishes the ring had never gone to him. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for uh, not up to them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in the world, Frodo, besides that of evil. Bilbo is meant to find the ring, and in this which case, you are also meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. And that's the end of the quote. And that's one of my favorite quotes from any movie, and has always struck, you know, stuck with me throughout my life. It's that hopelessness, or that, excuse me, that hopefulness in the face of darkness and hopelessness that really make this movie stand apart for me. And I, I love this trilogy, and it all started with this one. So that was my, like, my long-winded uh, take on my first experience watching this movie. If you can't tell, I, I love this movie a lot. You know, a quick fun fact, that quote that you just read off was actually my senior quote in my yearbook in high school really um yeah um it just shows like everything is always revolved around lord of the rings for me it's like i watch a bunch of movies and then i just kind of get the itch i want to go back to lord of the rings or like i if if i'm in a lull in reading i go back to lord of the rings or the hobbit um and yeah this first one i've I've for a long time I've said that Return of the King is my favorite because I love how it wraps everything up. It's beautiful. Um and I I just love a culmination of a story done well. Like I love the last uh Harry Potter too, for mm-hmm. example. To go back to that. But the more like again we were talking about before we started recording, the more I go back to it, uh, uh fellowship that is, the more I'm just drawn to that one the most mm-hmm. because it's least out of the three least reliant on special effects. Not that the special effects are bad in the other two, but it feels more lived in. The sets are real. The costumes are real. There's, there's this sense of just wonder and awe that you were talking about. And I just love being swept away into it. The story of the characters is really focused on just Frodo and the hobbits and then expands to the fellowship. Whereas the next two kind of get into the stuff of, you know, Rohan and Gondor and all that. 
Yeah. Um, it's kind of but, broken up into like the three, almost like comparing it to Star Wars. It's almost like in all those movies, you you have three branches. You have right. Anakin, Padme, Obi-Wan, and then whatever Palpatine mm-hmm. is up to. So, yeah. And I've just come to appreciate just how everything is so focused in this one. And it just feels much more special and magical. I always cherish that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is, it's like, like I, like I said, and like you were talking about being transported and getting to, to know all these characters and we'll, we'll go into it later, but that, that opening scene where you get introduced to this world, it's, it's enchanting. It's like, it almost casts a spell on you, you know, while you're mm-hmm. watching it. Um, it's, it really is a, a magical experience. And I had the, the privilege of, I've only ever seen two of the Lord of the Rings films in theaters, return of the King. I saw in theaters, me and my brother went to go see that together. And then this past year, like after the, well, the pandemic was still going on and it was in the heat of the pandemic and they tried to reopen theaters. The first time they re they reopened theaters with all these big, uh, movies that had just come out and I went to go see the fellowship of the ring in theaters mm-hmm. and yeah, it still hits, especially on the big screen. It like, it consumes you. I, I have a local IMAX theater and they played for three weeks straight, each one of the Lord of the Rings. And that was the first time I'd ever seen fellowship in theaters. Cause I got to see the other two a few years back, but yeah, you're completely right. Seeing it on the big screen with the music all around, mm-hmm. is just insane. It's, it's a different feeling. I and mm-hmm. at one one of these days I will definitely go see the two towers on yeah. the big screen. <laughs> I, I have to mark that off the bucket list. But we are not the only ones that really adore this film. The Rotten Tomato score Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, currently sits at ninety one percent, with a consensus being full of eye popping special effects and featuring a pitch perfect cast. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings brings J.R.R. Tolkien's classic to vivid life. Do you agree with the score? I think it should be 100. I don't yeah. know what anyone, <laughs> why anyone would give it a rotten score. but I'll be the contrarian and I'll just say 99.99%. So there's a 0.01 that just, you know. Sure. Yeah. This wasn't for them. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean... Yes, this movie's full of eye-popping visual effects, especially for the time and and everything like that. But to me, I don't really associate Lord of the Rings with that stuff. I associate it more no, so right. with, with the themes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the consensus, I'm a, I'm a, I I kind of fall a little bit um, more on on the thematic side and not being swept up by the special effects as much, even though I still think they're great. Well, the Pitch Perfect cast is a good uh, mm-hmm. a good note. Because yes. I don't think there's a single bad actor in the entire trilogy. No. Um, I think everyone fits their roles perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone is is great here. There was almost someone else cast as uh, Aragorn, which would have been very interesting. Uh, very good well, actor. Well, he actually was cast. Yeah. yeah. And he filmed, I don't know if he started filming, but he was, he was in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Filmed like, I think, two weeks. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. And that 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 would have been interesting, I, but I can't picture anyone else but Viggo Mortensen playing that. That's what happens, though, right? Like, um, when there's a movie that's become so iconic like this, and you hear, "Oh, this person was up for the role." I don't remember who, but there was like 
another big name, like up for Forrest Gump. And it's like, you can't picture anyone but Tom Hanks playing that. But, and it's similar with Lord of the Rings because everyone was so perfect for their role. Even if, like, I think Sean Connery turned down Gandalf yep. and he would have been great because Sean Connery is obviously an all-time great actor. Oh, yeah. But, um, like, he wouldn't have been bad, but Ian McKellen just took it to the next level and we've seen it and we've been able to live with it for just about 20 years now. Yeah, he's... I mean, again, another one can't picture anyone else playing Gandalf, but yeah, McKellen. Exactly. And how angry he gets at the hobbits <laughs> that yeah. aren't Frodo and, uh, and uh, Bilbo. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, but going back to the, to the score itself. Um, I mean, I know it sounds like a joke, but to me, it would be a hundred percent as movies. Yeah. It's freaking perfect. I can't imagine it being better than it is. No, yeah, you're right. But moving on to fun facts here. Director Peter Jackson gave one of the rings used in the films to Elijah Wood and Andy Serkis as a gift when the shoot was finished. They both thought they had the only one. Could you imagine their faces when they realized they have both? <laughs> yeah, that that's a fun little nugget. I, I really like that. Yeah. Gandalf's painful encounter with the ceiling beam in Bilbo's Hobbit hole was not in the script. Sir Ian McKellen banged his forehead against the beam accidentally, and Peter Jackson thought McKellen did such a great job acting through the mistake he kept it in. And it is one of like the best like gotcha moments. Uh, not like gotcha in the sense that it surprises you, but like like hitting yourself and the reaction he has, the ooh. Oh yeah, I I do that noise all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> just mimicking yeah. Sir Ian McKellen. It's because they made tiny sets. Yep, and yeah, I just I think it's so great. Well, they made the tiny sets. They would shoot Regular it in the tiny fire. set, and then they would shoot it in the big set, and it mm-hmm. was yeah. The behind the scenes features on these movies are so underrated. Go watch them if you haven't. They are fascinating. There's something like. What is it like? Twenty hours total for all three. I don't yeah, know. but there's a lot. A lot, yeah. The cast often had to fly to remote shoot locations by helicopter, and Sean Bean was afraid of flying and would only do it when absolutely necessary. When they were shooting the scenes in the Fellowship crossing the snowy mountains, he'd spend two hours every morning climbing from the base of the mountain to set uh, near to the top, already dressed as Boromir. The crew being flown up to uh, could see him from their helicopters. And I remember this being on the behind the scene features. It was, they filmed the scene where he gets tempted by the ring and he hands the ring back to Frodo. And there apparently was some turbulence on that flight. Mm-hmm. And he was not a fan of it at all and decided, you know what? I'm, I'm going to climb every single day. That's how I'm going to do it. And, Peter Jackson is laughing his ass off describing this because they're like flying up in the helicopters and they yeah. see like this little tiny speck scaling the mountain. And it's like, Oh, there's Sean Bean in full Boromir costume. Yeah. Imagine that's a good way to get in character. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you felt lived in and everything like that. So yeah, I guess that's a, a good way to look at it, but it's so funny to see the contrast to Peter Jackson 
laughing and thinking it's hilarious. And then Viggo Mortensen being really concerned. <laughs> like, I hope he's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you ever watched the uh, behind the scenes of The Hobbit? I've never seen those, no. Okay. Well, I after watching however many millions of hours the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit behind the scene uh Hobbit behind the scenes add up to together, you realize just how much of a little kid Peter Jackson is. Like he's a little kid with a beard and expensive toys to make these movies. So he's always going to be the one like messing with people and laughing at them in in this sort of situation. I just think it's hilarious. Yeah, and it's also like Watching the cast behind the scenes, you see how much fun they were having. Yeah. And how close they were. It's it's what makes the, the connection with the Fellowship so special, because it was genuine. Right, yeah. And that's... I think you can tell in a movie when the people making the movie weren't, th- weren't just there for a paycheck, yeah. but were there because they wanted to do it, because they enjoyed being around the people they were working with. And I don't know if there are many better examples than Lord of the Rings when they were together for however many like two I think, years. Yeah. About two years filming all three of these back to back to back, like you said. Yeah. And then going back for reshoots. Yeah. <laughs> two or three times. Yeah. Uh, originally, the narration at the prologue was not uh, or was to be spoken by Elijah Wood, but it felt that the information in, uh, imparted had little bearing on the character of Frodo. Sir Ian McKellen also recorded a narration, but once again, it felt like Gandalf wasn't the right character to speak it. Neither he nor Frodo was present at the events described in the prologue. They eventually settle, settled on Kate Blanchett as Gladriel, as it emphasizes the timelessness of the elves. And I completely agree. I, I don't think it would really work if Frodo did it. Or I could see Ian McKellen working, but there's something about Kate Blanchett's as Gladriel, given the uh, recount of what happened and what's led to this, that it does feel like timeless. And it feels like you're hearing a, a tale from a very, very wise and important person, you know? Yeah, I was actually um, rereading some of the book in preparation for this uh, because I didn't know how much of it would come in handy. I only got about 100 pages in because I've been so freaking busy lately. But I got like the the part in the movie where Gandalf is explaining to Frodo in Bag End like everything about Sauron and the ring, like right before uh, they uh, get Sam sneaking or eavesdropping by the window. Yeah. that whole thing is extended in the book and a lot of it is taken word for word for the prologue of the movie. But like you said, it would be weird to think about it being Gandalf speaking the prologue because I think there's just something so, I don't know, mystifying about hearing Galadriel's voice, just like that soft, gentle voice being the first thing that you hear. Like you hear the, the elf theme. That's the first sound effect or piece of sound at all that comes up in the movie and then you hear the world is changed you know yeah the world is changing and then you hear like that she's translating what someone Mm -hmm. else is saying in elvish yep um so i the fact that there's another piece of trivia i don't think you have it on here but when you look into her eyes there's a reflection in it 
Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Oh, yeah. It's the sparkle. Yeah. Right. And that's not just like because she's beautiful or anything like Gimli <laughs> loves to emphasize. Yeah. But it's because of uh, she was the only one to see the trees of Valinor, which is from the first age of Middle Earth. They were basically like the Garden of Eden, uh, the equivalent in Middle Earth. Um, she's the only living being who has still seen those because they're long gone and burned, uh, you know, ages ago. Um, so that just solidifies the fact that she's the only one who has this breadth of knowledge and this understanding of everything that has happened. And that's led to this point. So I just, I just love, love the way that it is all set up Yeah, and it, it fits together. It's a beautiful setup and it also feels like you're, you're by a campfire and you're, you're hearing this very ancient person giving you mm-hmm. this account of what's happening. And then by the time you get to return of the King, it feels like you've heard the story by her. You know, and it, it just, yeah. it works. Uh, this movie, Lord of the Rings of two towers and Lord of the Rings return of the King were filmed simultaneously back to back to back. And we we're talking about this, but here's the recording schedule. It was 274 days across 16 months, exactly the same time as taken for principal photography on Apocalypse Now, which was 1979. Was this principal photography for Lord of the Rings? Does this yeah. count the, the pickups? I don't think it counts the, the pickups. I think it just counts the first initial shooting all three mm-hmm. through. And then I think uh, every subsequent year they would go back to shoot like right. two towers or pickups for like two towers or return of the King. Yeah. What I take away from this is I didn't realize apocalypse. Now took that long to shoot. That's insane. Wild. Uh, I, I need to watch that behind the scenes doc someday, but that's off topic. I, I do too. I, I, I do too. Uh, it's a, also a movie that uh, I haven't seen in so long and when Mm. i saw it i didn't understand the gravity of it so i definitely need to go back and watch it when pippin is being hit with the apples after asking about the second breakfast who which by the way doesn't love second breakfast is it is vigo mortensen chucking apples at his head they had to shoot the scene 16 times to get it just right and billy boyd said he believes mortensen enjoyed himself immensely so there's the flip side of Viggo Mortensen feeling bad for Sean Bean climbing up the mountain is just chucking apples at <laughs> Billy Boyd's head. <laughs> and, and, and laughing probably yeah. the entire time. <laughs> yep. Um, Viggo Mortensen joined the movie when it was already shooting, <clears throat> never having met Peter Jackson before, nor uh, having read any of J.R.R. Tolkien's books. Uh, it was Mortensen's 11-year-old son, Henry Mortensen, who was a chief instigator in convincing Mortensen to sign on as Aragorn. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And it turned out that he loved the character of Aragorn and he loved the, the like Nordic inspiration of Lord of the Rings. And he loved the outdoors aspect and they camped overnight. And yeah, it's great. Yeah. And there's a, like a funny story that throughout the entire shoot, he went everywhere with a sword. Mm-hmm. And at one point in time, he was practicing in the middle of the street with the sword and he got the cops called on him, Yep, <laughs> which is, which is really funny. Uh, but the actor who shot, I think it was for two weeks, 
was um, Stuart Townsend. Yeah. Yeah. And if you guys don't know who he is, I think the two most famous movies I think of that comes to mind when I think of him is Queen of the Damned and uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So. Yeah, they they just considered him to be too young, I guess. Um, yeah, and he does look too young. I guess, yeah. Aragorn, again, he's supposed to be 87 in Dunedain years, so. Yeah. I guess Vigo's and, better. I'm happy that, that brought on Vigo. Yeah, I am too. And it, it's it's funny, I was doing research for this film. I, I kind of realized that his race of men are kind of like the, in some ways, the Atlanteans hmm. of Middle-earth. They live like right off the coast of Middle-earth on this little remote island. Yeah. Never knew that. I should definitely read the book someday. There's so, yeah, there's so much cool backstory. Like, oh, yeah. In the, in the movies, they boil down dialogue to like it's most essential to move the story forward. Mm-hmm. But in the books, it's like, every piece of dialogue is at least four paragraphs long and has centuries of history built into it. It's great. <laughs> Very dense. Yes. Move over, Dune. This is dense. <laughs> oh, for real. Yeah. <laughs> Hobbiton was made a year before production began to make it look like it was a natural lived in place complete with real vegetable patches. The greens department regulated the length of the grass by having it or having sheep eat it. It, like this is like a dream travel destination for me because these sets oh, yeah. really exist in New Zealand. You can go visit them. I want to go really, really bad. Well, when they made it for Lord of the Rings, they did what you just mentioned, but the the material they made like the Hobbit holes out of was temporary. But when they re- went back and did it for the Hobbit, it's now permanent materials. Um, so that's why it's a travel destination and. Yeah, just like you, I'm. Uh, I would very much like to go within like the next few years. Yeah, it it would. That's a travel destination for or a dream travel destination for me because it's, it's again, it's enchanting, mm-hmm. and it makes it even much more impactful because it's a real set. It was real, right? They made We've been it. talking about like being transported watching this movie, just going to like that real place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must be crazy. Uh, John Reese davies suffered from a reaction to his prosthetics, usually inflammation around the eyes. That meant that he could never be filmed on consecutive days and would always require at least a day off for his skin to return to normal. He has never, uh, he was never anything less than three hours in make in the makeup chair. That's pretty crazy. Imagine doing that for 16 months, your skin being constantly irritated. Yeah, uh, honestly, I can't imagine that and I don't want to. Not uh, either. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just insane. But I think it also goes to show some of the unsung heroes of these movies are like behind the scenes, makeup department, set dressers, that sort of stuff too. Just like three hours a day with one guy alone, let alone all of the like the hobbits, the wizards, everyone else. Doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Oof. Yep. Yeah. Hopefully they like the people they work with. Yeah. I, I would imagine it would be terrible if they did not. Yeah. Um, Sir Sean Connery, we briefly talked about this, but he was offered $10 million per film for the role of Gandalf. 
but he turned it down reportedly due to not understanding the story. That well, sucks for him. <laughs> I'd, I'd say yes and no, because Sean Connery is still Sean Connery, but oh, yeah. being in Lord of the Rings would just, yeah. Well, it's apparently the reason he accepted League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was because it's like, oh, I don't really understand it this understand this that much, but I'll do it. It's based off a comic book, yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, that ended up being his last movie. Um, mm. It's not very well received, even though it holds a special place in my heart. It's, it's not very not a very good movie. Right. This movie grossed $897.7 million at the worldwide box office, making it the second highest grossing movie of 2001, right behind Harry Potter at number one. That's still wild to me. I don't know. Um, I wonder what it was that made Harry Potter just a bit more attractive to, to people. Well, I think it's the kid friendliness of it. Like this movie Which is, it's kid friendly in some aspects, but extent, yeah. Yeah, to an extent, but I don't think you're going to get a bunch of, I mean, unless you're me, like a bunch mm-hmm. of like six or seven year olds going to see Lord of the Rings. It's mostly, you know, for 11, 12, 13, and then on into adults. Right. Harry Potter is going to appeal to those three-year-olds, those four-year-olds, five-year-olds. Um, That's a fair point. Especially the first one, which is like the least scary or frightening for kids out of all of them. Yeah. It's certainly the most magical. Yeah, yeah. And it has the kid in the lead and everything like that. So that's going to appeal. And I remember that being a movie where daycares were just going to the, the theater with the kids going to go see because it's, it's Harry Potter. Right. Um, I was not one of those kids. I was not really into Harry Potter growing up. Again, Carly, if you hear this, I'm very sorry. Mm-hmm. I, I love you. I'm very much into it now. So <laughs> <laughs> I was and still am pretty big into Harry Potter. Yeah. Still need to read those books. So I'd, I'd put Lord of the Rings higher in priority just to throw that out there. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll read Lord of the Rings first. This movie was nominated for 13 Academy Awards at the 2002 Oscar ceremony for the year 2001. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Original Song, and Best Sound Design. However, it won for Best Cinematography, Best Makeup, Best Music, and Best VFX. If you ask me, probably should have won Best Picture the year it came out, too. So looking at these other nominees, I've only ever seen A Beautiful Mind, which is great, but it's no Lord of the Rings. No. But I can't speak for the other ones, so. Well, A Beautiful Mind is a, is a really good movie. Gosford mm-hmm. Park was a movie that my sisters and mom really loved growing up. Uh, I, I liked it quite a bit. In the Bedroom's a really good movie. Moulin Rouge is terrific. That's that is a beautiful love story. Uh, if you've ever heard Mr. Brightside, that's essentially what Moulin Rouge is about. Hmm. It's a really really good movie. That's but, an interesting way to to sell it. Now they'll have to watch it. I love Mr. Brightside. <laughs> yeah. If well, you like it probably also because it's in uh, one of the podcasts we did together for your one of your other favorite movies. Now the name of oh, the movie yeah, is about time. Me. Yes, about time. Yeah. That might have been the last time I was on, actually. Anyway. Yeah, um, yeah that, that that might be right. 
Yeah, lots of nominations. And this, like I said, it broke barriers because at the time, the Oscars were not known to nominate films, especially in fantasy. And and this was really one of those that really broke down that barrier. I wonder, this probably is what it is. I think the Academy saw this movie and realized that if they stayed on this trajectory, then they would do what they did with Return of the King and said, we'll give you some, but you'll get your day in two years. Yeah, That's why like it didn't win Best Picture or like adapted screenplayers and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, you're going to get all of these. Just be patient. Don't worry. Yeah. It, it swept the Oscars in 2000. To that for 2003. It, it won everything it was nominated for. Everything. I remember watching that ceremony and like being like gobsmacked at the fact that it was winning everything. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, mm-hmm. cause that back then I was I still am, but I was such a little nerd kid that was yeah. obsessed with the Oscars. And I wanted finally a movie that I loved to win at the time, you know? Right. And it, it, when it finally did, I was, I was just I was smitten <laughs> for yeah. like, for like two months. I was just talking about it nonstop. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. The clean sweep, as Spielberg says. Yeah, clean sweep. But before we get to our award section, guys, we're going to take a quick break to let you guys hear an ad from our sponsor. And we are back. Thank you so much to our sponsor over here. But we are going to move on to our award section, and we're going to start off with favorite scenes and moments. So here's what we did for this. Normally, I kind of just let loose, and I have as many scenes as I want in here. But if we were to do this movie with all the scenes that I'm sure that we love and would love to deep dive in and discuss, we would be here for about as long as the movie. And considering that you and I both have lives and have stuff we need to get done (laughs) and everything, we kind of limited ourselves on this. So I chose five, Robert chose five. So we ended up with 10. Um, And, this is a, a really good bunch of sequences that we got. And I'm going to start off with the prologue. So I love this because the history it's the history lesson of Middle Earth. And it's done in a brilliant way because it perfectly catches you up to speed with what's going on and what the ring does without it feeling like it's bogged down with all this heavy exposition, you know? Yep. The, the, uh, the visuals of it, make it that much better you know mm-hmm. if it was just gandalf sitting at the table talking to frodo and saying all this stuff be like all right move on already this doesn't make any sense but like yeah coupling the voiceover with like the big the last alliance battle and all that and then the the battle with sauron uh, yeah, yeah it's it's so epic throw it in it, the fire yeah throw it in the fire destroy it's it yeah it's you know. not to mention it's yeah like you said it's it's epic and that mm-hmm. shot where we get all the orcs running and you get one by one the swords yeah. coming out and to protect it against the onslaught it's it's so awesome yes i i love that the, the elves going you know oh yeah <laughs> great sound effects for audio listeners but it's like it's just amazing to watch every single time and i remember playing the game as a kid and it was during that part where it would go from being the actual movie to the video game it transitioned yeah and it was so so cool my brother and i would play the lord of the rings games also 
And then when we would watch the movies, we'd be like, and this is where it turns to video game. <laughs> like we, <laughs> we played the game and watched the movie so many times we knew the exact spot. Yep. Uh, tour around the Shire. So Robert, what do you think about this one? Yeah, this is, this is mine. Um, I, when I say tour around the Shire, I mean in the extended edition from when, right when the prologue ends. So, so far we have the entire movie is our favorite scenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right when that ends, Bilbo starts like uh, telling the viewer about hobbits. And through that, you just see hobbits living their day to day lives. Uh, You see the Shire and like what you were talking about. You can feel how lived in it is and just how real it feels. And then it leads to uh, Frodo and Gandalf having their first encounter of the movie. Um, And through all that, we get the introduction to Bilbo's party. It just. That's that's what I'm talking about when I'm just like this is comfortable, this is enchanting. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling settled in. There are no like insane visual effects. You know, there's no uh, pieces of building being hurled at Minas Tirith or anything like that. It's just like <laughs> a gu- two guys riding around in a cart. You know, and it's just amazing to watch. And it, and I just love that whole sequence. Well, the score it really enhances it too. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. the you know it's just it's great, and I want to live in the Shire someday. And I'm pretty sure the description of a Hobbit it, it's me to a yep. T. <laughs> yep. It certainly mm-hmm. plays again. Like I like I said, I would love to go visit one day. It's so wild to me still how they how they built this. Like you were talking about, it just feels so authentic and, and lived in. And I think that's why it's aged so well. We see so many movies where at the time they look awesome, but then they go back and because they relied heavily on the VFX, it doesn't hold up as well. That still doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It just means the VFX have held up as well. And here, the reason it holds up is because it's real. You know, most people would be tempted to do green screen today. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But the main thing I took away from this watch was how Bilbo acted when he lost the ring, how he mm. like freaked out and everything. And the reason it struck me is because I've seen people act like that whenever they like lose their phone or something. <laughs> well, it's an addiction, right? And yeah. that's, that's the whole thing about the ring is that basically heroin, <laughs> you know, <laughs> see what, what Gollum looks like. Um, yeah. The Lord of the Rings is about a lot of stuff. Uh, addiction, war, PTSD, friendship, all the stuff that you were mentioning before, hope, hopefulness, you know, um, so that's kind of also what makes it so lasting. It's just, there are so many different things about it, but you're right. It, uh, Ian Holm is great. Also got to throw that out there at some point. Oh yeah. He, he's amazing. Uh, ring rave scene where they sense the ring. So, this is the get off the road, get off the road sequence. Yeah. You know, like I can't tell shot. you, yeah, I can't tell you how many times as a kid that I took all the Lord of the Rings figures that I had outside trying to recreate this scene. Mm. <laughs> like I had so much fun and so many memories doing that when I was a kid. And it's, it's so intense and gripping and the shot of all the bugs like coming out as the ring oh, rave yeah. is like holding his hands on the edge it just shows you how much evil exists within this thing. You know, it just works in being so creepy. And it also shows you without a doubt that Peter Jackson is, uh, 
has a big background in horror too, <laughs> you know, yes, like yes. body horror and you, you, you wouldn't, you would never know it from the Shire scene. You know, the whole thing we were just talking about, mm-hmm. but as soon as like any evil appears, you're like, Oh yeah, that works. Yeah. And it's, it goes back to something I, I've always held to, or believed to be true is that if you can direct horror very well, or if you can direct comedy very well, typically you could do other stuff mm-hmm. very, very well too. Because those are the two hardest genres to really nail down. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Aragorn versus the Ring Raves. Uh, this game scared me when I was a kid. Uh, seeing all the dark figures like approaching Merry, Pippin, and Frodo and Sam and how large and tall they were. It just felt super tense because I felt hopeless. Like, how are these little guys going to compare and fight back against these giants? Mm-hmm. And it's just so exceptionally well shot, especially because we see Aragorn fight for the first time and how good he is. He takes out all of them by himself. Yep. Very. Yeah, what really freaked me out when I was a kid was like how the ring race look when Frodo puts on the ring. Mm-hmm. Like their shrunken, weird looking faces. That's what I would like look away from. Yeah. <laughs> just... Yeah, yeah, because it, it looks like uh, going back to a movie that just recently came out when you see the ghost in Last Night in Soho. Mm, yeah, yeah. And how they look. Yeah, I agree. That Up to that point in Last Night in Soho, I was like, eh, this isn't that bad. But then I was like, eh, that's a little freaky looking. I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Council of Elrond, what do you think about this one? That's just like... You can't see, but I have little figures. Here, I'll show you one of them. I have little figures of each one of the Fellowship on my desk nice. here. And I have them standing as they do when Elrond says, you shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, I, I just love that whole thing from, you know, uh, we've gathered here, friends of all, you know, all that kind of stuff all oh, the yeah. way until the when he just gives them their title. Um yeah, it's just beautiful. It, it introduces the big conflict and shows you what the movies are really going to be about. Because up to that point, pretty much the entire thing is introduction. Because mm-hmm. Frodo thinks he's just bringing the ring to Rivendell and then going back to the Shire. But like, this is really the big inciting incident where he decides to take the ring to Mordor. Um, and anything that's just like iconic with like the music uh, swelling and then you have my sword and yeah. my bow and my axe you know yeah. oh man I just love that whole thing yeah it's it, it truly is and I used to mimic that all the time you have my sword and my bow and my axe you know mm. it's just like that gargly in my axe it's, it's, it's perfect the scene is always struck with me too because of how we see how the ring manipulates everyone you know not yeah. not just the person who holds it. it it doesn't you know make them full-on evil as the intentions of those who wish to hold the ring are pure but that ring only answers to one person and he has no interest in sharing the power and frodo stepping up to take the ring amongst all those arguing has always struck with me too he does it out of the goodness of his heart and the way people just rally behind him you know, you think of it like as a uplifting scene, and it is, but it it, it always brings a tear to my eye because it, it it's all these people 
just willing to stand by his side as he takes on this huge task, you know, it's yeah. a beautiful moment. And I love the sound design of that scene too. When he goes, oh, I will take it. I will take the ring. You can barely even hear him. Yeah. Um, until Gandalf makes like that, like there's a close up on Gandalf. He's and then he turns. Yeah. Right. And he turns towards Frodo and then you'll hear him loud and clear. I will take the ring to Mordor. You yeah. know, it's that's when everyone's like, oh, right. That's what this is about. Mm-hmm. Here's a little innocent hobbit. He, you know, they, they talk about when they're in the Shire. It's none of our concern what goes on beyond our borders. You know, like all of a sudden it is his concern. This mm-hmm. this uh, affects the entire world. And then, like, I love the line that Boromir says, you carry the fate of us all, little one. Yeah. You know, like, everyone who's arguing, <laughs> you can hear among all their arguing, never trust an out. You know, everyone's being very selfish, uh, being very prejudiced, being very angry. But then, again, it's they realize what it's all about. And then rallying together, like you were talking about. Yeah, rallying together as soon as they realize this innocent hobbit who doesn't this is the probably the furthest away he's ever been from home mm-hmm. is willing to do this when all of us are arguing amongst ourselves which leads to one of the most epic shots in the movie it's the walking of the fellowship man what what do you think about this when whenever you see it i mentioned i went to go see all these in imax um earlier this year and this is the scene that i was looking forward to the most just nine guys in a pony walking by a big rock you know because um a few days ago on lord of the rings subreddit there and on twitter maybe it doesn't matter uh people are talking about what scene would you show tolkien if he was alive what scene would you show him to give him the spirit of the movies and people are saying like oh this thing would make him angry or this thing is kind of against the spirit of the book but that scene just having everyone in their costume with the music swelling just shows like we're doing this and here we are. This is exactly the spirit of what the fellowship should be. Um, Yeah, you're right. There's nothing like, there's not really much deeper behind it. Like there is with everything else we've been talking about, but it's just so freaking cool, man. (laughs) It is. It's, I think I remember as a, as a kid seeing the commercial play during like some sporting thing my dad was watching. And seeing all these people walk across Mm -hmm. and that must have been one of the other triggering things to let me go, this movie looks kind of cool. Look at all these characters, you know? Right. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Gandalf and Frodo talk about Gollum. So this is a smaller, more intimate scene. Um, But to me, this is the kind of scenes that make Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. The thing that has always got me about this is that it covers two topics that I hold near and dear to my heart, and that is teaching empathy uh, towards those who are suffering and not being judgmental, but lending a kind and gentle hand of understanding. Uh, doesn't mean you are uh, empathizing, um, but it means you are uh, or, or sympathizing, you are empathizing. Right. Um, and of course, destiny too. As someone who is as I quote, pessimistically optimistic, if that makes any sense, always trying to find the bright spots and the reasons why things happen. 
And hearing Gandalf's reasoning to Frodo being down on himself is very, like he says, it's reassuring and something that I often do myself. It's those moments of humanity that really make Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, you know, just very special. Yeah. Um, you you did a good job talking earlier about the, oh, we have to decide what to do with the time that's given to us. That's I love that line. But then I like that you highlighted now the, um, the interaction when they're talking about Gollum, where Frodo says, it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill him when he had the chance. Yeah. Could he? Yeah. Could he have stayed Bilbo's hand? You know, true courage isn't knowing when to take a life, but when to spare one. You know, I, you're right. I, I, there's not much more I can add. There's, it's the true humanity, true, uh, honesty and truth about the story that really comes through in scenes like this. Yeah, I love it. It's what separates like a a child and and young man versus. Or, or a young woman versus like a, a, an adult woman or an adult man making those decisions is understanding when to be empathetic and right. to spare a life. You know, it's not about taking lives. It's about sparing them. Right. And I think that's an important thing to have at the center of a movie with so much action and killing, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> people can uh, with good reason be like, Aragorn's awesome. Look at all those, you know, Legolas taking down the Oliphant, you know, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But the important thing is that the way that they're framed in the movies, at least is that orcs and Yurikai are inherently evil because they're corrupted by Sauron, but there's something redeemable about Gollum. There's something redeemable about the people that are most downtrodden um, and looked down upon by society and by people. Uh, and that's an important thing to remember. Absolutely. Belrog slash Gandalf's fall. So Robert, this scene is epic, man. Yeah, so I'm realizing that you chose all like the little personal moments and I just chose all like the the big Lord of the Rings epic moments. Um <laughs> and I like I like the the uh juxtaposition because I love both of those types of moments, but the first thing that I think of when I think of Lord of the Rings is like all the just the fantasy elements. And then once I think more deeply about it, then I think of like, these are the reasons why it's, why it's stayed with me my entire life. But all that to say, this is like as good of fantasy tension and action as you can do. Yeah. You know, I don't know when you were reading through uh, behind the scenes or stuff like that, if you knew this, but in the script for this, it says fellowship descends the stairs and yep. then that's it. Mm-hmm. But Peter Jackson went and did this entire thing where they ha- where they throw the the hobbits and the dwarves, and then Gan- or Aragorn and uh, Frodo are left on the one that's falling down. And then once they all make it across, you get the triumphant fellowship theme, and you think they're safe, but no, the Balrog is there. And then you get you, you know, yeah, you shall not pass. This stabs is the it thing. It's awesome. Maybe the most iconic and epic line in the entire movie. Um, but it leads to true loss. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it shows the importance of Gandalf because I'm not, I don't want to step too much on the toes of return of the King, but my, one of my favorite parts of the entire return of the King is when Gandalf and Pippin are talking in Minas Tirith, when he's talking about, uh, the, the, the far green country and all that. 
death is just another path, one that we all must take. Gandalf is this like moral center. He's this philosophical, uh, yeah, philosophical center at of these movies. That without him and without the the teachings that he brings, you still have the idea of fellowship and you still have the idea of hope. But he's the one who teaches so many of these lessons, and he's the one who provides comfort and safety, or, or at least a sense of it, especially for the hobbits. Um, so that's why Aragorn, Boromir, Gimli, and Legolas are all standing up, but the hobbits are the ones who are absolutely devastated as soon as they get outside of the mines. Yeah. Um, it is a true devastating feeling of loss. And if you don't know the story, then you think like, oh my gosh, they're they're screwed. You know, what are yeah. they going to do without Gandalf? Their moral compass um, is gone. Right. So it's both awesome and meaningful at the same time. Yeah. It's to me, when I think about this sequence, I, I often, I get teared up and I choke up because of the awesome score, mm-hmm. which we also talked about is in the teaser for man of steel, yeah. um, which should have set up what that movie was going to be perfectly for people. <laughs> but, um, the reason I cry is, is not the reason we lose Gandalf. It's the loss of, of innocence. It, yeah. It's it, that gets me and the hobbits realizing that life and death is truly at stake. I don't think up to this point, even though they faced some uh, harrowing things, it's never been quite like this, where you witness your moral compass die right in front of you. And seeing Frodo's reaction really sells that. You know, it's that him realizing the full weight of this burden and seeing Elijah Wood, like his performance in this, he crushes it and conveys it with just the one look. All he has to do is the one look. Right. And then we get the Aragorn's on your feet moment. That that gets me too. On your feet, Sam. Give him up. <laughs> Give him a moment for pity's sake. Yeah. <laughs> By nightfall, these hills will be swarming with rocks. Um, <laughs> again, from the behind the scenes, um, I remember this. I watched the behind the scenes when I was very, very young, um, and they've stuck with me ever since. But I'm pretty sure Peter Jackson was the one who's. Or no, Elijah Wood said Peter wanted the look that he gives. Uh, he said, "I want your look to hurt the audience." And every time I watch that scene, it hurts for yeah. exactly the the reason you're talking about you know as soon as it happens as soon as gandalf says fuck you fools and then let's go you get the no you know the the luke skywalker no and uh aragorn has to drag him out and he's just like flailing his arms and legs you know because again what you were just saying it's that innocence is gone yeah but then it's like the numbness immediately afterwards that that look with just the tears coming down his face. He's and, alone too. Yeah. He's alone. He, he, where do I go from here is basically, why do I keep going on? Why, like that's basically the, what the look communicates. Yeah. And it, it's again, highlighted by an incredible score. Mm-hmm. Like that, that score is, that's wonderful. Yes. Um, Aragorn versus Lertz. Slash Boromir's sacrifice. Freaking awesome, man. Yeah. Um, this is, again, kind of like the Balrog sequence where it starts off awesome, where it's like, look at 
uh, when Frodo leaves, this is where I'm thinking, like where Frodo leaves and then Aragorn mm-hmm. fights the big and giant swarm of orcs. And the it's so badass. Like he's just taking them all by himself. Yeah. Like it's awesome. And Vigo was using a real sword and not a prop sword because he <laughs> wanted to feel real. <laughs> yeah. So you go through all of that. And then the real turning point is where you hear the horn and then the horn of Gondor. Yeah. Boromir. You, know. you get the one tracking shot. Like yeah. that seeing that in the theater, I was just like, I've seen this movie a thousand times, but I was still like, again, gobsmacked, just sitting in my chair, like, oh my God, this is how did they pull this off? Yeah. It's incredible. Every movie's a miracle that gets made that's good. This one though, like, man, it's I don't know how they did that. Divine inspiration. Um, (laughs) but the ultimate redemption of Boromir is one of the best parts about the movie as a whole Um, because like you were saying he's tempted by the ring but he's not a bad person no like he says to Frodo I ask only for the strength to defend my people you know like he he just wants to do the right thing he one thing he wants to make his father proud and for two things he just again wants to do the right thing and of course he is not corrupted but he's uh affected by the ring in such a way that you know he kind of sets off a lot of bad stuff yeah. you know makes makes frodo run away but he proves himself at the end by defending mary and pippin mm-hmm. who what is it with orcs and stormtroopers and just getting beat up by rocks? You know, Return of the Jedi, the Ewoks <laughs> throw rocks at, at the stormtroopers in here. In Lord of the Rings, the hobbits throw rocks at the orcs and it kills them. Anyway, <laughs> they're, um, they're, they're, they're like world-class pitchers, man. As a baseball guy, you should know this. <laughs> you, yeah, I guess that has to be what it is. <laughs> but just um, seeing him defend the hobbits and then like, the rocks slowly slow motion fall out of their hands as they realize what happened was happening. And then uh, I'm going to tear up saying it, but like the, they took the little ones, you know, Yeah. he realizes the gravity of what's happened. And then uh, that leading into the, my brother, my captain, my King, it's just like, everything's come full circle. Boromir and Aragorn realize that they've had the same purpose this whole time. It's just that Boromir is a little bit more mentally weak. Um, I don't even know if that's a fair way to put it. He was just like affected by the ring in a way that Aragorn wasn't. Yeah, he was more compelled to to use. I guess he was naive about the ring as yeah, opposed yeah. to uh, Aragorn who had grew up with the elves and was probably very well educated about how terrible the ring is. Right. But you know, going back a, a little bit, mm-hmm. um, Aragorn versus is his name is Lurtz, right? The big one. Yeah, he's not named in the movie, but that that's the character's name, Lurtz. Yeah, I am shocked that this movie got a PG thirteen rating because of because this fight. Of this. Yeah. It's very violent. He, you see the stab in the thigh, like you see the knife go through it. It's held in there. You see him get his arm cut off. He gets stabbed in the gut and then pulls Aragorn closer until he, Aragorn takes out the sword, beheads him. Like, it's shocking that like, this movie got by with, you, with a PG-13 rating. I'm not 
saying it's a bad thing and it should be no, rated no. R. No, but like, I'm I'm shocked. Maybe because there's not like blood spewing out of his arm stump like the uh, the Black Knight in Monty Python. <laughs> yeah, it's just a flesh wound. Yeah, but you're right. The conversation between Aragorn and Boromir is really it's really the impactful moment here. You know, mm-hmm. it, to me, it's it truly is the mobi- moment that uh, subconsciously I think Aragorn makes the decision to lead his people and become king. Yeah. I think it's one of the defining moments because of what Boromir says to him. I would have followed you. You're my brother, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it really is. It's it, it gets me every time. And this um, two things. One is quick. You mentioned that the ring wraiths on Weathertop are what scared you as a kid. Uh-huh. The one that really, really scared me was the was the Lurts fight. I would always like if I was watching it by myself, I would ask one of my parents to come in the room and watch it with me. Um, <laughs> but um this might be a good time to mention quickly uh, in the book. A lot of characters, Aragorn especially, are like archetypes. Like he runs into battle yelling like Ellen Deal. You know, he's running. He knows who he is as a character. He's never in doubt about being the king. He's always like talking about, I'm going to take back Gondor. I'm the king. I'm going to lead them. But they did a good job of making things much more personal in the movie, like making him conflicted and relatable. Because books and film are two very different uh, mediums. Mm -hmm. And the way that they were able to uh, adapt this story for the screen while still making it, while still keeping the the spirit of it, was great. Because it's not compelling to watch, like the way movies are made in modern day, it's not really compelling to watch the way that Aragorn is in the book. Um, But you can relate to him knowing just like the idea of responsibility but not wanting to do what you have to do i think anyone can relate to that yeah um in one way or another obviously not everyone is the king of the of the of a country earth. in middle earth but, yeah. <laughs> um just like accepting who you are and realizing you have to live up to that um I love the way that they adapted his character for the movie. And what you're speaking of thematically, it, it goes hand in hand with the next sequence I have, which is Sam joining Frodo. Mm. So we get this shot of Frodo just kind of holding the, the ring in his hand, just staring across the bay. And he's, he's thinking to himself, like, what do I do? Like, and he thinks back, you know, I wish the ring had never come to me. And then he remembers what Gandalf said to him. And, you know, it's moments like this that truly make this, this movie special uh, to me. You know, this is the moment where Frodo truly commits to his task at hand, even if it means, you know, leaving all those he holds dear behind, but it doesn't have to be alone as Sam is, is so loyal to his friend and he, that he's willing to risk drowning to be next to his friend along this journey, you know, to, to protect him, to help him and to stay true to his word to Gandalf. Like he says, don't you leave him Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to, you know, it's this moment really sets the stage for all that Sam does down the road, especially once we get to return of the King. And I'm not going to step on that uh, too much. Yeah. Because in my opinion, you know, it's, 
in Return of the King that he really becomes the hero of the story in, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. the unsung hero. Moments of, of loyalty, friendship, and, and love like this always gets me because those are the things that mean the world to me personally. It's it's why, skipping ahead, this is my favorite scene in the movie. Love yeah. it. Absolutely love this sequence. It always makes me tear up. The the scene where he pulls him in the boat and he says, don't you leave him, Samwise, Samwise Gamgee, and I don't mean to. You know, it's, ah, dude, he gets me. And then... Oh, Sam. And then the, the embrace. Yes, it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, uh, I really... Uh, maybe maybe subconsciously I only chose the big moments because I don't want to like gush about everything that I feel. <laughs> like I don't want to bear my soul on a podcast. Um, <laughs> don't feel the need to if you don't want to. I don't want to... <laughs> no, no, no. I know. It's just like when I think about that, I'm not I'm not exaggerating or joking or making this up for the theatrics of an engaging podcast or anything, but there are certain moments throughout Lord of the Rings that if I even just think about them, I get chills throughout my entire body. And that is one of the moments. Um because again, we I think we've said this a dozen times already, but that is like what's at the heart of the movie, like that sort of idea. Not abandoning your friends. Uh knowing what you have to do, staying true to your task. Um, and most of all, companionship, kinship, you know, um, Gimli says the fellowship is broken. We failed, but not really because the fellowship Frodo mentions it somehow in the third one about how they were eternally bounded by love. Even at the moment of the breaking of the fellowship, they're still all bound together. That's why Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli go after the other two hobbits. That's why the other two hobbits don't like freak out and just decide to give up. And that's why Frodo and Sam they take off down the river and they're they continue their journey. It's special and it means the mo or it's it's the central meaning of the movie and it's all distilled into this one little interaction here. Um and it's absolutely perfect, I think. Yeah, it's they're all bound to one another, you know, mm-hmm. and they want to look out for one another. Even though they're separate, they still look out for one another. And that is something that, you know, as someone who lives super far away from a lot of his friends, you know, like that I cling to. It's right. a very special moment. So I've mentioned we we've mentioned and talked about all the scenes that we have listed. Um, I told you guys my favorite is Sam and joining Frodo. Which which one of these is is your favorite, man? <sighs> I don't even know. <laughs> that that is a that is a hard question because I know this is like your favorite movie ever. It's like someone asking me, "What's your favorite movie in, or moment in Star Wars?" Which movie? You know, <laughs> like right. Um, I think we could keep. Can I go with two favorite moments? Yeah. One in each category. I'll do one of like my favorite of the like the world building type slash uh, feeling type, and that's just like the Shire, like I mentioned, um, introduces the whole world. Then, as for like the emotional thematic, I would go for where we were just talking about with Frodo and Sam leading up to Aragorn saying, "Let's hunt some orc," and then yeah. running off because that just closes the 
theme of what we were just talking about. Just they're going to not let Merry and Pippin uh, suffer in torment. So yeah, yeah. the the G- Gimli going yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. All right. Um, speaking of perfect, worst scenes and moments, nothing, nothing. This movie's perfect. Um, but if I had one little tiny thing, it's Frodo's face when he gets stabbed in the mines of Moria. It's unintentionally hilarious because of a YouTube video that I will not delve into that I've seen before. Uh, makes me laugh pretty hard, but that's it. And it's not even really bad. It just it makes me laugh. I think uh, Elijah Wood has a lot of unintentional comedy. Uh, in these movies yeah. and it's mostly when he's getting stabbed like <laughs> that scene getting stabbed by the ring race is also just like a weird face and then uh when he's foaming at the mouth after getting stabbed by shelob is a little wonky looking too but it is what it is <laughs> it is what it is exactly it is what it's it just is his face he can't really do anything about it <laughs> exactly um best performance this is this was tough man this was really hard because everyone does such an incredible job throughout it. My single favorite moment uh, performance wise is the look that Elijah Wood gives mm-hmm. after um, Gandalf falls into shadow and flame. But I think overall performance, I, I think I have to go with, with, with Sean Bean. One does not simply not choose Sean Bean <laughs> when picking best performance in Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings. So he's just, he's really good at making you untrusting of him while also making you trust him at the same time. Because yeah. he, you see him having fun with Merry and Pippin and teaching them, you know, how to sword fight and how much fun they're having together. And he's just laughing the entire time. And you see how protective he is and how good of a warrior and a hero he is. But you also see the shades of gray with him. He's constantly tempted by the ring uh, again, not because he's a bad person. No, he wants to use it for pure purposes, uh, but he can't. And it's his performance, especially there at the end. It's just magnificent. I don't think he gets enough love. So that's that's for me that's best performance. Yeah, I uh, I can't argue with it because again I think everyone is perfectly cast, um, and you're never going to go wrong with Sean Bean. Uh, mine, I would say Ian McKellen. He, yeah. uh, I think he got nominated for an Oscar for a reason because I think out of all of the actors in this movie, he gets the most chances to like do something emotionally moving. Um, not that the others don't have those chances. It's just that he gets the most. Um, and we've talked about a few different thematic moments for him, namely the uh, Moria scene. Yeah. Um, I think for that alone, he would have my, my best performance choice. Uh, then just on top of him entering the Shire and all of that, um, I think there's no Lord of the Rings the way it is without Gandalf being perfectly cast. And I think he was perfectly cast. Yeah. Ian McKellen is, uh, sir, excuse me, sir, Ian McKellen. Sir Ian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, does this make sense award? So, I'm interested to hear what you have. Cause I don't have anything. So 
I have some things that I think make sense diving deep into these books, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. not diving deep into the books because I've never read them, but diving deep into the things that I had questions about mm-hmm. in this movie, reading the answers for them in the book. So this is going to be kind of me going to you to explain these. It's only three things. Sure. Okay. Um, not a lot. Um, but number one, why not take the Eagles the full way? <laughs> It's, sorry, I don't. I'm not laughing at you. It's just like in every like online Lord of the Rings community, that's always the the joke. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it's. I don't know if it's hammered home well enough in the movie, and why this is, uh, and that makes it why this is such an enduring question from like just movie people who have only seen the movies, um, and it's that this was supposed to be like a very covert mission um, because you see the forces that Sauron and Saruman also Christopher Lee is incredible. Um, You see the forces that they have at hand throughout these three movies. Um, If the fellowship came guns blazing, riding on Eagles for one thing, they get shot down immediately Uh, for two. They have the, the fell beasts that the Nazgul ride, the dragon looking things and the two towers in return of the King. Basically Sauron is always ready for like an attack at a moment's notice, but he never expects little hobbits to just walk right into Mordor. Um, even though Boromir says one does not simply walk into Mordor. Um, that's what makes the hobbits special. Uh, even though Frodo does eventually fail at the end, and I know you'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, it's the Hobbit's innocence um, that makes them uniquely suited to this task. And that's why it's chosen and why it's so effective for Frodo and Sam to be the ones to go to Mordor, ultimately. Because, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just talking in circles at this point, but they're just uniquely suited to do so. Yeah. And I, I think I read something at one point in time. Aren't the Eagles also tempted by the ring themselves? Or is that not really talked about or discussed? I don't know if the Eagles are tempted by the ring, but that's also another good point to bring up is that the Eagles aren't just a taxi service. Yeah. In the book, they talk. Um, and they're like friends with Gandalf. And they were basically just doing him a favor uh, when they rescued him from uh or thank so it's not like they could just call them off anytime they want and have them pick them up uh it's not uber right it's not <laughs> middle earth uber it's <laughs> they're their own sentient beings that with their own uh priorities yeah um why doesn't elrond strike down isildu and mount doom that's a good question <laughs> and I'm not really sure of the answer. Um, maybe because he doesn't want to kill the king of men. I really, I really don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a Elrond kind of losing hope and faith in man, and seeing him do that just—it didn't anger him. It broke his heart. And that's kind of what he says to Gandalf. I was there the day that men yeah. failed. You know, so yeah. I, think I don't it, think you're too far off there. I think it broke his heart. I, I, I don't think it was that 
it's it's an Anakin versus Obi Wan situation. If I compare it to Star Wars a little bit, where mm-hmm. Obi Wan doesn't want to kill Anakin, and if Yoda had not sent him there, he would not have gone. Right. It, it's kind of a, a same thing where Elrond is probably friends with Asildor. I don't really know the relationship because I haven't read the books. Um, and seeing him do that broke his heart to the point to where he lost all hope and just whatever, let him take it. Whatever happens, happens, you know? Yeah. And it went on for another couple hundred years. Uh, and he was able to, to, uh, delay that for that long, but yeah. Uh, how are the Orakai made exactly? How are they made? Uh, that isn't even really completely answered in Tolkien and all of his writings either. Um, but basically they're fallen elves there who were corrupted by Sauron. Um, you see them coming out of the ground at certain points. Yeah. That's why I had a question. Cause I know orcs are technically fallen elves are orakai like fallen men no i i really don't know how to completely answer that because it seems like there's some contradictory stuff slash not fully even explained stuff within tolkien's writings even so yeah i don't know if there's a complete answer but then people who know a lot more about tolkien's writing than me listening to this might be like why is this guy answering questions? It's obvious. So <laughs> that's always what I look forward to. Thankfully, it's it's never happened in a comment section. As me saying that is going to ensue it, unfortunately. Yeah. Or or fortunately, because you know what, I would love to to have it explained. It's not like I, I am dead set one way or another. Like explain it to me. I'll I'll buy. You just want to know? Right? Yeah, I'll buy whatever you give me, whatever you're selling. Um, so we explained one and two pretty good three, I guess has to, to, to win, but in a, in a sense, he still kind of even explains it in the movie itself. He goes, you know, orcs were once elves, they've fallen. Now they are perfected. Yeah. Yeah. The evolution of them has peaked now, I guess they've evolved it's probably the best way that you could put it. And it's the simplest explanation for just like they have an army of evil things. And that's all that really matters because it's not really important to the story. Exactly. Uh, MVP of the movie. It's Peter Jackson, man. For me, at least. Yeah. I have uh, a four way tie. If that's allowed. <laughs> that, that's allowed. Yeah. Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens and Howard Shore. The first three were the co-writers, so that's why I, you know, they're already a team as it is. Yeah. Um, and then Howard Shore was the composer, so they're the the four that, well, the writers at least built the world with Jackson directing, which I'm sure you're gonna talk about. Um, he brought it to life, and then the final piece to the puzzle was just having the music to make it all feel perfect. Yeah, and the. The music in this movie, all three of them are mm-hmm. it, it's 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 one of my favorite scores. I think Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and I think Man of Steel might be my three favorite scores ever. I love those pieces of music. Yep. Um, so I'm glad you you threw Howard Shore in there. Give him some love because the score for all three of these films are incredible. 
For me, it's it's Pierre Jackson, and I think the reason being is this guy went from directing Meet the Feebles, Brain Dead, and The Frighteners, to directing one of the most epic series of movies ever made, and probably my third favorite movie of all time. Because much like you, I've thrown them all together. You know, right? Yeah, and it, it to me, it's it's wild that he went from directing these really weird horror movies to directing again one of simply one of the most epic movies ever made series of movies ever made culminating with his big oscar wins you know it's pretty incredible and all it does is all it is is a testament to someone who had an idea and had a way they wanted to make that idea um i was actually talking about this on sif pop rogers room recently with aaron um it's like the difference between, oh, we have a franchise movie. What director are we going to get to make that movie? Yeah. Versus Peter Jackson saying, I want to make The Lord of the Rings. Let me go about finding the rights. You know, he and Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens, who they just brought on, who was just like this massive Tolkien fan slash writer. Um, they knew the perfect way to adapt this. And they had the filmmaking prowess and abilities that it was just a perfect storm to bring these movies to life. Yeah. And they did such an exceptional job. And you think about the, the stroke of luck too, that they had mm-hmm. eventually uh, at one point they were going to make this with Miramax, the Weinsteins, you know, yeah. and they wanted it. Oh, let's do one movie. It's like, what the hell? You can't make one movie with Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that two or three of my uncles are humongous Tolkien fans, like absolutely just diehard Tolkien fans. Like they were fans of the books long before the movies were ever, ever even thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of, they're kind of on a scale of how much they can like put aside uh, stuff that was left out versus just like appreciating the movies for being adaptations. But one of my uncles, he gets very angry <laughs> at these movies because of how they just change some stuff. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's just necessary stuff when you're adapting a book. But to him, it's he's been reading this book his entire life. All this is to say, just imagine if they had like combined character, like they were going to combine Eowyn and Arwen. They were going to get rid of like Merry and Pippin. You know, they were going to do crazy, crazy stuff to make this one movie. I can only imagine what diehard Tolkien fans would have oh, done. It, it would have been God. ripped to shreds. The, yeah. It, if you think The Last Jedi was bad, <laughs> just wait till you see that. Yeah. That, ugh, yeah, that. Again, it just a testament to sticking to your guns. And then, like, we're going to do two movies, taking it to New Line. We're going to do two movies. You're going to do two? No, this is three. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about the look on his face of, Oh my God, I get to do more. Like, yes. Like it's one. Everyone's jobs were at stake too. Yeah. Like if this had bombed, Peter Jackson would never have made another movie. Uh, new line was going to go under. There were other financers coming in who would have just been SOL. You know, it's like everyone's had, had everything uh, on the line for this, for these movies. Yeah. And it turned out to be, in my opinion, you know, 
simply the the greatest fantasy story ever told really because mm-hmm. it's i mean star wars is in a sense it's fantasy it's also sci-fi it's also kind of a western it's also samurai it's a bunch of stuff thrown together you know it's a melting pot to me this is straight up fantasy and that's you know what well, it, it's so great but robert at the end of the day why would you recommend this movie i think there are about 10 million reasons why I could recommend this movie. I think if you want to be swept away into another world while still being able to think about our own world and think about uh, and learn lessons about living just in the real world, then I think Lord of the Rings, you can't get any better than what Lord of the Rings provides. You have escapism while or escapism mixed with lessons about real life. It's really difficult for me, to be honest, to distill why I recommend Lord of the Rings when it's become such an integral part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, every year on my birthday, I do a day-long binge of, of all the Lord of the Rings. I bring all my memorabilia out to the TV and just like wear my Lord of the Rings hoodie and all that and just just watched all three movies extended. But then also I just woke up one Saturday morning. And I just couldn't sleep. It was like four thirty AM. And I was like, I'm not going to fall back asleep. So I got up and watched Lord of the Rings, you know, like that's where I get when I just need to calm down. When I want a pick me up, when I'm feeling sad, when I'm feeling happy, when I just want to feel something, you know, when I want to feel excited, um, I'm just babbling because I really don't know how to distill why I love these movies or why everyone else should watch them, but they're just great. They're indescribable Mm -hmm. and and how awesome they are and how wonderful they are. And I'm very much like you. I don't, I don't know how to properly like say in a short way, here's why I recommend X. I will talk ad nauseum about why I, I would want to recommend this movie because it's, of course you get the escapism and, and, and you get uh, wonderful sci-fi and all the great epic action sequences and everything you could imagine like that. But there's also so much thematically to take away from it um, mm-hmm. to, to, to dive deep into if you want, it's there. Um, it's the perfect escapism movie and like you escapist movie. And it's like you said, like, I'm the same way. I, I watch this movie when I'm sick. These are the first movies I go to. Like I'm going to watch Lord of the Rings because it takes up the entire day and I can watch it. Or um, when I'm, I'm feeling sad, I'll watch it. Or like I said, every year around this time, mm-hmm. I always watched Lord of the Rings because it's a nice break and kind of a nice bridge from all the horror I've been watching in October. So it's 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 the perfect movie to watch during this time of year for me. I love it. I love watching it around Thanksgiving, Christmas time. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But that is it for for this week's show, Robert. Thank you so much for coming on. It's it's always a blast to to have you on. Um have you haven't been on here in a while, so it's it's good to to get you back on the show, man. Yeah, I always love coming on. You're fun to talk about movies with, especially when we both love the movie we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I'll be back next week to discuss the the two towers. 
but until then, be sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a comment, rate us, and while you're at it, give me a follow over on Instagram and uh, TikTok at Ben Davis Movie Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest content I have for you guys. Anyways, until next time, stay classy.